0: Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK insights podcast. Today, I'm joined by two past guests, although this is their first time on the podcast together. We have Yola Burnett, Vice President at GFK Consumer Life, and Stacey Barrick, who is the Managing Director of GFK's Consumer Insights Division. Now, today, we are looking at the digital lifestyle that most of us have come to know intimately in the last year. Uh, We'll be covering the attitudes and behaviors of consumers and how they feel about it, how it's changed their daily lives, and how you, as a company, should be thinking and prioritizing this evolved world to better fit consumers' needs. Welcome back to you both, Yola and Stacey. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Now, before we get into any of the juicy details,
1: can one of you
0: give us a quick synopsis of where this information is coming from that we're talking about here today?
1: Absolutely. Most of this comes from our brand new 2020 Consumer Life Tech and Digital Lifestyle Study that we conducted among 25 countries around the world and is a companion piece to our standard Consumer Life uh, Study. We also uh, supplemented this with some other GFK data assets, such as our our POS data in many countries around the world, as well as our coronavirus tracking uh, study that we did over the course of the year. So lots of, of rich information in here that we're gonna share today.
0: So just for a quick summary to start off with, how has the past year impacted the digital lifestyle overall?
1: How hasn't it impacted the digital lifestyle? Um, As life moved home um, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of shifts of things that people were doing outside the house Inside the house now, starting, of course, with a lot of work habits and school and migrating into shopping and then entertainment and all sorts of other activities that a very experiential uh, American and global public were trying to replicate in a digital world. And so that involved everything from moving exercise classes online to moving our socialization online from Zoom um, meetings and cocktail hours and, and holiday Celebrations to group activities um, using the, the digital lifestyle. Another really big, uh, you know, shift is how much time people spent on social networks. Um, According to um, the NextWeb's website, in the world, the internet users will spend a cumulative 1.25 billion years online in 2020. And um, a third of that is being spent online in in, uh, social media, social networks. So an incredible amount of time being spent online in different ways this year.
0: Wow, that number is a little scary. I mean, that is huge, but also not completely unsurprising. Now, uh, Yola, you recently did a webinar presentation about tech lifestyle. Um, and during the presentation, you had a fact that came from this study, the Tech and durable study, that 70% of consumers globally have said that they have worked or studied from home at least once per week. Do you think that this trend will continue to rise even after the threat of our current pandemic is
2: over? Uh, Well, the short answer is yes, Hannah. (laughs) We already saw in our research that Gen Z were on track to transform the workplace. But COVID-19, as Stacey mentioned earlier, right, drove us more into the mainstream in terms of our digital lifestyles. Uh, and the good question is, you know, instead of asking, is there a reason to do this online? You know, we might be asking, is there a good reason to do this in person, right? And others might be reminded and convinced, you know, why or what that reason is. Uh, Another reason why we will be seeing remote work rise, its this is from our coronavirus pulse study, which we have been tracking since the beginning of the pandemic, is that majority of Americans who worked from home last week say that working remotely, you know, really fits their lifestyle going forward. Like I, I can do this thing, right? It's 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 fine. Uh, and we know that there are several benefits of remote work for both employees and employers. Many corporations are struggling during the pandemic on rethinking their expensive lease obligations. You know, so being location agnostic also opens up a talent pool and limits uh, relocation costs. Giving them the flexibility to move further away from cities and taking their dream job without sacrificing the location. Also, just even thinking that technological developments and where we're headed, a lot of consumers are equipping themselves with a lot of new technologies, which we saw with the, uh, even our, you know, point of sale tracking data. Um, you know, where that's just, you know, having the technology is going to be more conducive to the rise of remote work in the future.
0: Okay, now, Yola, you kind of touched on it in the beginning there about how Gen Z was already driving this remote lifestyle. Besides them... Who really are the main drivers when it comes to the work from home, not only generationally, but also demographically?
2: Right. Yes. Yeah. So we did see earlier, we talked upon um, about the seven in 10 global consumers who work from home at least once a week. But when we look a little bit closer into the profile of who these folks are, we start to see that there are some unique characteristics. You know, they tend to be younger, uh, as we saw with Gen Z, uh, but millennials mostly, more educated, specifically those with college degrees, those living in urban areas, more women than men. Uh, So in fact, you know, it's not everybody, right? When we say we everybody, everybody works from home, it's really not everybody. There are some certain demographics that are more prone to doing so. And, you know, there are some concerns. We're going to talk about this perhaps a little bit later, but just thinking about, you know, remote work is a potential concern for inequality. There is something that we're going to have to think about going forward, especially uh, when it comes to having simple things such as fast and reliable internet connection.
0: Right, yeah, I definitely wanna get back to the whole digital divide. But first, I just wanna start with the overall question of just all these people who are working from home. In terms of productivity, Is it for better or is it for worse?
2: Well, this is a good question, and the answer is not always black and white, right? There are so many unique situations and working styles, um, but there is research which measures the impact uh, of work, uh, especially when it comes to using technology. Um, So there's anonymized data tools um, such as Office 365, G Suite, and, and Slack, which indicates that on average, our work day has gotten longer by about 15%. So, you know, we are seeing that also in terms of large proportions in our studies, we're seeing that large proportions of consumers are having a hard time breaking away from technology, right? Uh so we tip the needle in another direction, we give up the commute, but instead, you know, we spend more time working. Uh and even just looking at some of the tech giants such as Twitter and Microsoft, who have both embraced remote work. Work or hybrid work, uh, we we see that you know they do believe that um, there is productivity that's happening at home. Now there are some exceptions, and some of those being younger, you know, parents with younger children. Again, the coronavirus uh, coronavirus pulse study, which says that. Essentially, there is a certain proportion about a quarter of, of parents of very young children who are saying that, you know what, working remotely, it's not going so well. And and they cannot get back to the office, right? Because if you have children climbing on the back of your head while you're trying to do your work, you know, they may not necessarily be independent. That's an issue. But we have to remember that this is a time of a pandemic and it is not necessarily about the location. So as soon as the children go back to school, you know, that's not going to be an issue.
0: Right. Now, heading back right into that digital divide that you mentioned earlier, you have a really good point that the current remote reality has made it very clear who has availability to the internet and who doesn't, both for working and also for school. There are certain kids that do not have an extra laptop at home when their parent is already trying to work remote. So what type of innovations are going to help fill that gap?
2: Right. And there's so much to unpack here, Hannah, you know, when it comes to innovation. First, just let's back up for a minute and think about where we are, right? Technology is transforming the world in front of our very eyes and the pace of change is just faster than ever. Um, Technology is is at the frontier of human innovation with boundless opportunities when it comes to how we work and live. Uh, And 5G is so much more than just um, faster download and upload speeds. It will connect everyone and everything. Um, AI, some coins to be the new electricity. We see at the cusp of this new technology that's about to transform uh, uh, our work and lives even more. But the basics, such as you mentioned, um, you know, access and connectivity are still huge issues. So, you know, even here in the U.S., you could be within a two mile radius and it could be 1995, you know, in one area and it could be 2020 somewhere else. So lots more work needs to be done here. With that said, you know, I have great hope uh, when it comes to Starlink. Um, for those who may not have heard about it, it's the futuristic satellite broadband that has the potential to bridge the digital divide elsewhere. Essentially, uh, SpaceX plans to surround the Earth with about up to 42,000 satellites beaming down high internet speed. Another one when it comes to bridging the digital divide is not necessarily in the technology itself. But just thinking about ethical design. And there's a great book by Kathy O'Neill called, titled Weapons of Math Destruction, which talks about inequality and AI. And we're going to have to address those issues when it comes to responsible design. Because when you design for those around the edges, not just those people in the middle, then you design for everybody and, and you, you bridge, bridge that gap. Just listening you
0: talk about all those innovations and satellites, I have so many futuristic. TV shows and movies just running through my mind. I mean, some from the 80s where you think this is like make believe, and now we're here and this is happening. It's really crazy.
2: Right. We're witnessing this right in front of our very eyes, aren't we?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very, very cool. Shifting gears just a little bit in terms of thinking about businesses. Um, let's say, I mean, we have the digital divide. We've figured that out. Most people are staying home now. It's become a part of our life. Um, this has a huge implication when it comes to certain marketing and advertising methods. Some are going to have a lot higher values. Some that used to be very traditional are going to have a very low value. So what changes should we expect there?
1: Well, I think we've already seen a huge amount of, of change in the shopper journey over the course of the, the past year. Um, what we've seen is really an acceleration of different changes that we're already starting with some of the younger consumers that Yola already mentioned. So your millennials and your Gen Z. Um, being highly digital even before this all started and and doing a lot of their purchasing online and using some non-traditional sources to get information and to purchase things. Um, What we started to see very early on in, in the pandemic was different groups that had been laggards really embracing these technologies, whether it was um, moving into online purchasing, going into click and collect, or starting to buy in some ways they never had before. And so one of the, the really interesting trends we've seen recently is the rise in social media purchasing. And so people who are going to push the buy button when they're on social media. We have about 40% of the population who has done that. And that's much higher among millennials or people in the developing world and developing Asia. So a really big you know, source of, of where people are starting to shop we also see that on unclickable posts about and um, s- stories on social networks. So people are really going to to seek out things that they then want to buy. So whether it's whether they can, you know, buy shop this look for a particular outfit that they might see on on, on Instagram or Pinterest, or actually going to specific you know, almost infomercials but designed for the digital age where they can get a whole beauty demonstration and then purchase the beauty items. So this is where a lot of those new technologies that Yola was talking about in the context of work really come into play as it comes to the shopping world. Now, I will also encourage companies that they have to pay attention to their algorithms. You know, I I have had products following me around for years that I have searched on digital networks, that's nothing new. But I will say that I've recently renovated my bathroom and purchased a um, bathroom vanity from an online retailer. And now everywhere I go, I get advertisements from that same retailer for bathroom vanities. So unless I am starting my vanity collection, that is not the right thing to be sending in my direction. They really should be focusing on things that complement my purchase rather than replicate my purchase. And I can understand why a manufacturer retailer that I didn't purchase from might still be seeing me as a prospect, but it's not something that a company I've purchased from should continue to do. Um, another area I would just mention as a way to get to um, consumers right now as their home is the sampling world. You know, We saw an enormous amount of digital companies providing some free content early on in the pandemic. And a lot of that has now started to move to a pay model instead. And I would just encourage um, a lot of those digital companies to think about, when do you collect your credit card information? Because a lot of times there's a desire to collect a credit card upfront, have a model where the subscription continues if somebody doesn't opt out. But in many cases, that's a barrier to getting that content into somebody's hand early on. And I would liken that to the free samples that are also showing up more frequently in my Instacart or in my online orders, you know, that is a way to tangibly get a piece of of something in my hand whether it's it's something to eat you know and, and a lot of uh the uh, the more indulgent foods have found their way into some of my recent orders um you know but the idea of trying before you buy and really sampling and getting your hands on something rather than needing to commit to a credit card um for something that you're not paying for right away um I think it makes a big difference in the trial aspects of the relationship,
2: and it's and it's so interesting, Stacy, especially when you mentioned about it's so true about the social shopping, right? That we're, you know, experiencing that, perhaps you know, in a, in in social networks or VR live stream, where you can connect with your friends and shop. And then I, I'm guilty of it personally, and it's getting it so dangerous, especially when you have your PayPal account connected to it. You don't even know how, but somehow click and like, oh, shoot, I just, uh, you know, it recognized my face and I bought it. I'm like, did I mean to do that? <laughs> so I think we see a lot of that impulse purchasing happening that way as well.
1: Well, and I think embedding it into some of these interactive activities. So I've taken cooking courses online, where you're immediately confronted with the cookbook for the person who's, you know, offering the course, and other things that are really naturally put in there. There's crafting. So lots of places to integrate the buying opportunity into the new kind of online digital experiences that people are, are, are doing in their homes
0: those are all amazing points honestly i'm going to re-listen to this episode and i'm going to take notes during this because you just gave i feel like i just asked for five things and you gave me 20. those were some really amazing tactics also i think everyone can relate to uh talking about something or searching something and then it appears everywhere speaking of the movies i had in my mind earlier now i'm thinking about 1984 the book (laughs) feels a little bit like big brothers watching (laughs) Now... Speaking more about advertising specifically to consumers, uh, consumer interests have also changed in terms of what they are doing for their free time, not just for work. Uh, So what are some of the most notable trends that you found in that area?
1: Well, it's not that their interests have changed, it's how they're able to really exercise their options that have changed. Because I think in many cases, people have taken the things that they love to do outside of the home and brought them into the home. Um, One thing that I think is really interesting about digital rights now is that, you know, for many years, digital was seen as a dangerous thing that brought isolation to people. And now it's served as a lifeline in many cases to bring people together when they are physically isolated and physically um, away from each other. So it's kind of shifted a little bit in terms of the role it's able to play. It's not that it can't be dangerous. And there are other things we can discuss a little bit later related to that. But I do think it has provided an outlet for people to connect in very interesting ways that they weren't able to do before. Um, But in terms of how people are spending their leisure time, I mean, obviously, the in-home solutions are huge winners right now, whether it's downloading um, apps, where we've seen a huge change year over year in the number of apps people have downloaded. And they're, they're using to streaming services, which again, have had a very um, significant sign up of new subscribers during this time, or people even uh, changing their spending patterns to put more money against their streaming than they have for other activities, because it is really important to them. So I think those are all really um, big things. I think another real area where you've seen a huge shift in how people are spending their dollars is in the fitness world. So we saw early on in in the uh, pandemic, a lot of people purchasing home gym equipment and then a real rise in subscription services for activities, whether they be solo or some of these group activities that people do. So really another you know chance of people taking an out-of-home activity that they used to do, going to the gym and bringing it into the home and continuing with that. So lots of different places where they're taking um, leisure outside of the home and, and, and kind of reimagining it for the digital world. And I think, you know, co- companies have been very um, sort of scrappy in coming up with some of these new solutions for them and offering them the opportunity to subscribe to new services, whether it be with new classes that they can take or apps that they will do to monitor their health and their fitness um, during this time. Right.
0: Now, I do agree with you that what you said in the beginning that, yes, technology can bring people together. I mean, I think we've all had plenty of Zoom happy hours. In fact, I think I've had too many Zoom happy hours at this point, but we're still spending physically a lot more time alone than we did before. So how has that, I feel like you just talked a lot about the positive parts of it. Maybe there are some more, but also how is that negatively affecting areas of consumers' lives?
1: It, that is a huge concern mental health is a really big area right now because of the the great isolation um, when we asked um, you know consumers about how they themselves had been most impacted personally by the coronavirus um, situation, isolation, personal isolation came ahead of economic or health issues. So it's really something that's impacting everyone. And unfortunately, I think the situation is going to get worse before it gets better, as we move into the winter, and we start to see increases in in cases and, and more Out, you know, outdoor things closing and indoor things potentially needing to scale back, whether it be schools or restaurants or things that have enabled people to go out during the better weather. And so I think that's a real concern. I think, you know digital, as I mentioned earlier, has served in some ways to bring people together. But I think there is some some Zoom fatigue and there is some, you know, certainly isolation fatigue and quarantine fatigue that people are going through right now that really has to be worked through. And so I think the way that that companies can, can help is, is try to bring some novelty into the equation. So, you know, what are some of the things we can do in our next Zoom meeting that might be more fun and different what are some of the um, ways that people can interact and engage whether it be in in more of the multiplayer gaming online or building new communities for people to have an opportunity to connect and talk to one another because I think you know we will have an uphill climb in terms of people's mental state right now and so there are many places where there could be opportunities to try to make it a little bit easier for people.
0: Now, shifting gears just a little bit again here, um, just talking about the different smart technology that there is. As you just mentioned, you know, now there's all these devices that are really being utilized like never before when it comes to working out and all of those categories. Now, are there any smart technology that have evolved in its purpose? For example, I usually I have an Echo Dot. I use it to wake up in the morning, and I use it to have a grocery list. But now maybe people are using it for a personal assistant, where it reminds you when you have a task due or when you have a meeting.
2: Yes, absolutely. And and COVID nineteen, in fact, has sparked a huge increase in the use of vo- of the, of voice technology in the home. And you know we are seeing that our homes have become the connected center of. Everything, right? I mean, Stacy talked about working out, uh, and with that, how how uh, we use technology and the technology itself is evolving. And uh, again, alluding to what Stacy was talking about, relying on apps for exercise, right? Um, you know, apps are transforming not only fitness, but um, ultimately the role of TV. So if you think about what you use your TV for, you know, uh, it ultimately can be your workout equipment in the future, right? I mean, you, you download an app uh, and whether you do yoga or something else. Um, so, you know, just the purpose of that technology is shifting. Uh, you know, we also saw, and this is not new, that your mobile phone has pretty much been the Swiss army knife of everything, right? And this is not new, but now we see that this new connected device is used for other things such as, you know, e-visits, right? You do, you know, this is, you know, has this has boomed during the pandemic uh, and perhaps soon for diagnostics. So there is this new AI program Uh, It's still in the words. It's still at a university development level, uh, but it has a lot of potential. So it can listen to your cough and discern whether you have coronavirus or not, because it can detect certain notes in your voice, in your cough, uh, and it can determine whether you are positive or negative, right? There are apps which allow you to scan, you know, perhaps a skin issue or a rash to determine a potential diagnosis. So we're definitely are going to see more of that and that's how you know from from simple uses from connectivity to to hardcore diagnostics and we have seen that um even with the apple watch now becoming uh, you know, a tool for for doing your EKG and measuring your heart rate versus just a connectivity device. So again, um, especially with the you know five G being pretty much here, we're going to see home being a lot more connected. There's going to be a lot more sensors, and we're going to use technology in new and novel ways. Wow,
0: you know, the more that you guys are talking about all these innovation, the more it just feels like as vast as the universe. And the saying sky's the limit has never felt more relevant to me.
2: I say sky's limitless. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Now, what kind of domino effects could we see from all of these shifts? You know, I'm thinking about that local coffee shop that used to make all its money off of people coming out of a transit station or people buying that high mileage car because they used to have this
2: long commute, items like that. This is this is a fascinating question, Hannah, you know, and we have seen that with the shift towards you know, the remote lives, there is that domino effect, precisely what you just mentioned, right? And we really have to watch very carefully not only the shift in dollars, like where we're spending the money, but also the shift in quote unquote eyeballs, where you're spending your time, right? Uh, we have already seen that we live in this attention economy, but now more than ever, we're spending more time at home, less time commuting. And again, this, you know, like you mentioned, you know, maybe not going to buy your car coffee, um, you know, at a location near your work, but somewhere locally, right? Uh, Also just thinking about bigger purchases, such as, you know, do you need a second car if you don't commute or you do remote hybrid work? And whether you go to the city, say a couple of days a week, and your husband chooses other days to go to the city, right? That's going to have a tremendous impact. So we're going to see that reallocation of funds and time. Uh, We saw that during the pandemic, a lot of people, you know, uh, reallocated that money from, say, going out entertainment and even commute to home improvement project or sprucing up their home offices and outdoor areas for the summer. Uh, again, instead of, you know, going to shopping malls, we see what Stacy was talking about a lot more social shopping. Um, so again, we see the shift in behaviors uh, from, you know, outside to more of a home based solution. So. Again, uh, a fun fact: uh, there has been, um, you know, um, some of the retailers have seen a boost in people buying a lot more tops and not bottoms, right? Because <laughs> we are all guilty of some time in our career working in our pajama pants. So there is this unavoid- unavoidable domino effect, and it's very, very interesting, um, you know, because it affects not only technology and how we interact with it, but truly some, uh, you know, analog. Categories that are going to be affected. Uh, so this is a great opportunity. We always say that a time of innovation is also a time for reinvention and opportunity. So it is now more critical than ever to think about how this is going to evolve.
1: Well, and I, I want to just play up a little bit on that, where you're talking about the renovation and re- rein, reinvention of, of things, because I think there are some companies who have been, you know, looking at that. If you are the local coffee shop that is no longer being visited, if you want to survive, you have to think of new business models and new ways of working. And so we've seen certain restaurants start to change their models, particularly as the winter comes, to start doing things that are related to potentially catering meals in home, um, you know, bringing that experience into people's homes. And you also see a lot of rallying in local communities around Main Street, you know, and the idea that they don't want their small businesses to die because people are not going to them. And so an emphasis on trying to shop small, to try to help small companies that don't have their own web presence develop a web presence. So in my local community, um, some people banded together and created a a business district website site and got every single local store onto the website as well as a restaurant page of all the different restaurants to really try to support these local businesses. And so I think these are things that are really important to support the types of companies that may be um, losing out because the people are not commuting or they're not going out um so it's not just that they're shifting to you know making coffee at home as opposed to getting coffee outside, but maybe it's that coffee is coming to them through the through some sort of um, relationship within the community
2: and, and I'm so glad you mentioned that Stacy, especially when it comes to innovation, not necessarily it's not necessarily about the product itself as it is about that evolving business model absolutely. great points.
0: yeah, I think that kind of co-op Um, website that's a perfect example of ways to fill that digital divide that we were talking about earlier right now uh do i dare ask what type of pants we're all wearing right now (laughs) you go first (laughs) (laughs) they're very comfy and cozy that's all i'll say (laughs) (laughs) now i have one last question for you guys as you know on the podcast we are always pun intended thinking ahead so for the last question Thinking ahead, what should companies be thinking about and prioritizing in order to make it through these strange times and in order to make it on the other end thriving?
1: Well, I think, you know, Yola already touched on this, but at times of great disruption, you know, consumers are looking for new solutions. And so especially as they're going through this quarantine fatigue and shut-in fatigue, they're looking for things that are going to help them really feel like they're still connected to the world and connected to each other. So I think solutions related to that. I think also really going and addressing their real needs. So whether it's something as simple as connectivity and making sure their internet speeds are appropriate and addressing a lot of that digital divide that Yola was talking about, but really understanding the consumer needs, Um, helping people deal with the fact that maybe they're online a little too much. So online has become the new hub for everything, but when do they unhook? When is the, you know, unplug and when is the right time to do that? And maybe the emphasis should be on the social first. So you digital to bring you outside of your home as opposed to digital that kind of leaves you alone and inside your own head. Um, And then really not losing sight of the end user. Think about all the people who are now working from home, doing school at home, ordering things online. There's a lot of opportunity for some digital bad things to happen whether it be related to security or personal information so really educating people about password protection ways to really prevent um, some of those things to happen there have been a lot of uh, companies having some phishing and, and other problems that have shut them down from for large periods of time so you really have to make sure that if your customers or your consumers are going to be online more your workers that they're educated about how to protect themselves while they're they're there. So um, lots of opportunities, I think, for companies to help enhance the situation and be really sensitive to what people's needs are at the moment.
2: Right. And humans are indeed the weakest links when it comes to cybersecurity, right? And we just shouldn't have clicked on that for sure. Great point. Yeah,
0: I think we've all been the victim of that one before.
2: Well, thank you so much. That was a
0: beautiful last answer to kind of sum up the whole question, Stacey. I want to thank you guys both for coming back on the Thinking Ahead podcast. Amazing to have you back. Always great insights when you're on here. Now, if you're listening and you want more information or a visual elements to any of the items we've talked about here today, I'm going to link that presentation that I mentioned that Yola was in uh, earlier this month in the description of the podcast episode. So go ahead and just click on there. um, If you just want more information, more of a visuals and even more data points or, or depth into what we've talked about here today. Uh, Also, you can help me out by leaving a rating and review. Just scroll down to the bottom of that podcast platform you are currently sitting on with your earbuds. I would love to hear from you as a listener for both feedback and episode requests. And lastly, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Thank you both.
2: Thank you, Hannah.
1: Thank you.
0: And now our closing segment listen to this where we'll share some fun facts pulled from our studies across gfk as technology continues to advance artificial intelligence is being integrated into consumers daily lives listen to this 53 percent of consumers globally find that ai has improved their efficiency at work on the other hand in the world of health 56% 56% of global consumers also find it appealing to have AI or computerized doctors who can help diagnose health issues, pointing the way to the future of healthcare. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.